he is going to come back to practice on Thursday. Um, he's been fined. He will not be suspended. I expect him to play Friday in our last preseason game and, and on opening night. Um, we have spent the last week in deep discussions with all of our key figures in the organization, including Jordan and and Draymond, of course, um, Steph, all of our, our players, Bob, myself. And I can tell you there have been uh, a lot of conversations, individual one-on-one discussions, um, players-only discussions, um, everything that you can think of, all the different combinations that are possible in a, to have in a conversation. We've, we've had them. It's been an exhaustive uh, process. Um, it's never easy, no matter what decision you make in a situation like this. Um, it's not going to be perfect. Uh, this is the biggest crisis that we've ever had um, since I've been coach here. It's really serious stuff. Um, we're not perfect. You know, our team isn't perfect. Bob and I have definitely made our share of mistakes over the years, um, but we're going to lean on the experience that we have together. Jordan and Draymond got together and had um, a, a great discussion um, that uh, I think will help us move forward. And um, so after this entire week of, of, of everything and just assessing everything, um, this, this feels right. We take great pride in um, what we've built here. Um, you know, the, the continuity, the, the, um, the culture, um, and there's no way around it. That, that culture has been um, damaged um, by this incident. And so you have to work to repair that. You have to find that vibe again every day. All right. Hey, welcome to Brother from Another. Our, conf- our, our culture is not in conflict. We don't have a crisis. As a matter of fact, our culture is thriving. We got our brother from down the hall, Vinny Goodwill. Uh, we are grateful for your support. If you're listening on Sirius XM Channel 85, thank you. Watching on YouTube, Peacock TV, Twitter, podcast, wherever you listen, thank you for checking in with us. All right, Vinny. I know Steve Kerr was in a fight with Michael Jordan. He won a bunch of championships with Phil Jackson. Is he channeling a lot of that stuff, a lot of those lessons that he got from the Chicago Bulls right now to figure out where to go from here with the Warriors and Draymond Green? Channeling? I'm not sure if he's channeling. I think he's taking a chance. And I think we can all be honest and say this. I think what happens a lot of times is if someone is a champion and they've done it multiple times, as Golden State has done, as Steve Kerr has done at at multiple uh, places in his career, we give them a certain amount of grace. And the end often determines whether we believe the methods were actually valid. They have zero clue exactly how this is going to play out. This isn't November. This is the start of the season. This is in the preseason. So you have to go through 82 games. And even before you go through the 82 games, you got to go through the road trips. You have to go through the practices. You have to go through all those things where tempers will flare, where Draymond Green will be Draymond Green, and he has to pull himself back. And those are the things. And he said it, he said it in that last clip where he said, you know, our culture has been damaged. That's the truest statement of all. Just because you win doesn't mean that your culture doesn't have dings. It doesn't mean that your culture doesn't have flaws. It doesn't mean that you're not dealing with flawed individuals. 
Draymond Green is as flawed of an individual as anybody in terms of controlling the tempo. We've seen it at, we've seen it with the referees, we've seen it with other players, and now we've seen it in practice in a practice situation. Steve Kerr is trying to give, or put it like this, maybe not Steve Kerr giving Draymond Green a lot of grace. You know who might be giving Draymond Green a lot of grace, Michael Holly? No. Jordan Poole. No, 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 no. Oh, Steve, oh, Steph, Steph, Steph might be giving him something. Number 30 is giving Draymond a lot of grace. And if nothing else, if nothing else, if some people are to believe that this could be Draymond Green's last run with the Golden State Warriors, the last thing you want to do is create another untenable environment with a player approaching free agency, with a player who's helped you win championships approaching some level of free agency. I think they're trying to play the long game here. And here's the other part of this. If Draymond Green misses ring night, this this feels so so much worse. If he misses ring night, you might as well trade him. I think if this happens sometime in November, after the pomp and circumstance and everything else, you're having a completely different discussion. But because ring night is the first night of the season and how important that is to players and how important that probably is to Draymond Green, they were probably backed up against the wall. Maybe they didn't want to do it. And I can tell you from someone who's taken a few psychology classes, when you do this, you're not really comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're kind of tight. Right. You're kind of tight. Right. You're kind of tight. Yeah. Steve Curry's kind yeah. of tight. He, yeah, I, I know. And he had his notes here. And I think about it. This is one of the most glib coaches in the league. You know it, Vinny, covering the league. A, a great interview. Steve Curry was like that as a player. Yeah. Uh, he's like that as a coach. He a didn't look comfortable up there, off, did he? Off the rip. Yeah, he had, I mean, the papers, you can see the papers up there next to him. And he's reading some stuff. I'm convinced he's reading verbatim. Hey, we're not perfect. Uh, you know, Bob and I have we've shared our, we've made our share of mistakes. You know, I'm like, man, what are you doing? Like, this is not you. You seem like a rookie, uh, a rookie speech uh, giver. You're speechifying. You usually do that just very naturally. And now this seems so stilted, so robotic. Uh, it, it occurs to me a couple of things. I want to get your opinion on one. When when organizations talk about when they go to the NBA Finals and they say. Oh, it's so hard. You don't realize fans don't realize how hard it is to get here. They're talking about not only the 100 games, 100 plus games that they have to play from the regular season and the postseason, but I think they're talking about the personalities too. Because you think about it, last year's NBA finalists before the season has even started, both of them have been in crisis. <laughs> okay, the Celtics had their share uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking. All we could talk about was the Celtics and their head coach, and now we're talking about the Warriors. Even before November 1st hits, that's one, two. Um, I'm a little surprised to hear Steve Kerr say this. Is, I guess this is just in the margins a little bit, but I just want to hear you uh, speak on it. I'm surprised to hear him say it's the biggest crisis they've had. I would think Kevin Durant and Draymond see a theme here. <laughs> so it's always and Draymond. <laughs> All right. So Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Durant and Draymond had their beef early in that season and that really set the tone not that Durant was going to come back uh, he, he was guaranteed to come back if that hadn't happened but that kind of kind of got that runway ready to go and they had an argument and it hovered over that team the entire season I would think that would be a bigger crisis than this one because that never went away why is this bigger than Kevin Durant if you do if you believe it's bigger because someone got punched in the face that's why 
like Draymond Green calling Kevin Durant the B word and telling him if you want to leave, leave, and then the subsequent argument in the locker room that happened after that LA Clippers game. We didn't see that actual argument. We saw the exchange on the floor and on the bench. We saw, you know, Katie clapping for the ball. We saw Katie, you know, mouthing his words. And people were saying, man, did he say that's why I'm out? We didn't know that for sure. We saw the video of a man getting hit. That's a different ball yeah. game. And if, and if, and if this is the biggest crisis he's had to deal with since becoming coach, Draymond Green was suspended for a game for that Kevin Durant fiasco. He was not suspended here. So it's almost like you're, yeah. you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, but there's so good many point. other point. There's so many other factors here. Because it's ring night, because it's not Kevin Durant, you know, on the on the other end of this and the equity and what they were trying to do. Like they're going to pay Jordan Poole sometime between today and Monday by Monday's deadline. And they're going to pay him something let's just say somewhere between 120 and 140 million dollars or something like that, right? Wow. For him to be a Tyler Hero, got four and one thirty. Jordan Poole might is probably a better player than Tyler Hero, but he's in that same class and category of of tier player. So you can say that that contract is probably going to be somewhere in that neighborhood in that ballpark. He's going to get paid. So unless you are worried about him leaving, then the impetus to harshly punish Draymond like yeah. you did in the Kevin Durant thing, and he said, "Look, remember he also said." I'm not perfect. I made mistakes. Bob, Bob Myers, Jim, he's made mistakes. Maybe we're not doing the right thing. And, and implied in that is maybe we're not doing the right thing. We think we're doing the I right think they thing, but him. we don't know. If you suspend him, we'll trade him. If you suspend him, we'll trade him. If you suspend him, we'll trade him. If you suspend him one game, I, I, no, Vinny, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Miss Ring, have Draymond Green miss one... Ring night? Have him miss Ring night? That, that's important, man. Is it is it possible? It, are we are we uh, are we parsing the discipline a little bit too much? I'm trying to think of it uh, like a parent. Okay, uh, you can go to the party. You can go to the party, relate. but you can't stay. You can't stay. Well, I'm just saying. Oh, you can't relate because you've been you've been a child. You you somebody's child. You've been disciplined uh, by your parents. I know you. Like growing up in Detroit. Come on, man. Hey, I've been disappointed by African. aunties. This ain't this this ain't right. like the parents. It's African American family. You've been Absolutely. disciplined. You know what it's like. All right. So I'm saying, can, is it possible to say, okay, you can you can attend ring night and go out, you can shake the commissioner's hand, get your ring, but you're not playing, and then after that, go back to the locker room. Uh, I don't know if that works. <laughs> I, I just saying it out loud, that don't work. I don't know. And, in, uh, in front of the in front of the Los Angeles Lakers at that, and on national yeah. TV at that. Yeah. Look, the the here's the thing: we're going to be talking about Draymond. I, I will actually be in attendance for said game. We're going to be talking about Draymond whether he's there or not. Right? He's it's going to be hovering even if he's not there, even if he's at the crib watching it or some in some quiet suite inside Chase Center watching it. It's going to be a topic, so you might as well just let him play. And clearly, with all the discussions that they had, the biggest voice, or at least the tiebreaker, is number 30. Do not discount the fact that number 30 has had to manage yeah. the relationship or manage Draymond Green and maybe some of his outbursts 
and balance that against what Draymond Green actually means to him personally and to him professionally. And I believe that was probably the tiebreaker implied with that. Man, don't do this again. Don't make a fool out of me. Now that yeah. I've heard from a parent. Don't make a fool out of me. Don't make a fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, know who you are and whose you are. Okay. You know, you gotta, you represent, you're not just representing yourself when you go out there uh, uh, wearing that number 23 Warriors jersey. But I, I wonder if you'll agree uh, with this comment that I'm going to say, and I'm going to say it, you know, without fear of contradiction. I think the Warriors at this stage of their championship development, I think they can win a championship without Draymond Green. I don't think they could have won the first one without him. I don't think they could have won the second one without him. Yeah, three and four, uh, that's debatable. Three and four, perhaps. They they definitely could have won four without him. We saw that. They could have won number four without Draymond. Um, so if you need to that's move on, you don't, you see, that's a Michigan, that's that Michigan, that's that Michigan, it's that Michigan bias. It's that Michigan bias no, coming out. You claim a whole state, the whole state, you claiming it all. No, even, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't discount what you're saying. I think Draymond, what Draymond Green does for that organization, for that team is so critical because nobody else does it. And, you know, he might have seen, I won't say single-handedly, but he had played a critical part in turning that series around in game two, right? And then also in game four against the Celtics. Had the Celtics not been inciting Draymond Green, Steph Curry might not have said, hey, go wait in the car while I go handle grown folks' business and give them 40. <laughs> right. you, you know what right. I mean? So so it's, it's critical to note that regardless of what we think of, you know, the triple single nicknames and everything else and only average double figures four years in his career, how important he he actually is. Now, you can say this, the margins are going to be really, really thin this year. And I think the interpersonal relationships are going to be far more important, Michael Holly, than the relationship the Golden State has with the rest of the league. You've got to get the Jordan Pools and the Kamingas and the James Wisemans on board in, in a way that we've already got our rings. We're trying to get ours right now. That's the biggest That's question right. for me. That's right. You do it. You ask guys to sacrifice in the name of winning. What happens the next year when you've already won? Yeah. I, look, Vinny, uh, it's, it's a good point. They have done, they've done such a beautiful thing. It's hard to do in any sport, but especially in basketball because you really can't time it up. You know, it's just like that. It's like a, a game you play where you're just trying to get, okay, elevator going up. You're just watching two elevators to do this as a kid. You're in a hotel with those with those glass elevators. You sit there watching them. They're exposed. Okay, with the one going up match up with the one coming down? Will they ever stop on the same floor and just have alignment? And that's what the Warriors have tried to do. They got a veteran team. Then, but they got this youth and these lottery picks. And can they match it up where, you know, the veterans are still good enough where they can be the core of a championship team. The young guys are there to contribute, to watch the champions. And then there's another transfer where some of the older guys start to ease back and the younger guys become the core. And the Warriors started that process last year by beating the Celtics in six games. I said, wow, they beat them. They only lose, you know, Otto Porter and Gary Payton in the second. But they got, you know, Kaminga, as you said, Kaminga is still there and Jordan Poole is still there and you still got Draymond and Steph and Clay. 
man, like this could be a great thing if they can keep it together. But there's always something and, and maybe Draymond's issue. He said he's talking about things in his personal life. Vinny, maybe one of his things uh, is not personal, but it's kind of professional professional slash personal. It's like, am I being moved out here? Like, are they prioritizing pool over me? Are they prioritizing Wiggins over me? Wait a minute. I built like Deion Sanders. I built this. I'm swack. <laughs> I built this, man. Here's, 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 the, here's the other part that we, that we don't think about, especially when the money is concerned. We think about generationally yeah. like decades, players from decades ago saying, man, the money is so much greater, greater and it's built on the back of what I've done. Right. You know, guys from the 80s and 90s don't make nearly the, the amount of money that some of these new jobs are close. making. Right. We don't think about it from the standpoint of an inter team thing where the money gets so much greater in the context of oh, yeah. three to four years where mm-hmm. when Draymond Green was coming, you know, out of into restricted free agency, his max might have been four years, 80 million, you know, somewhere around there. Now the max is four and 120 or five and 200. And you might not Ooh. be out here pocket watching in that way, but you're damn sure making note. you damn sure making note. <laughs> one, one thing, one, one thing my pops always told me live in your own lane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I don't, I, you never know what it costs to water somebody else's grass. So water your own, but it's natural for people to understand and look at, man, I helped build this. I, we wouldn't be at chase center if it wasn't on the back of the championships that I helped build. And especially when you see the new Jacks coming in to a culture, you help create, amplify it, and then get rewarded off of it. I think it's natural for there to be some feelings. Now, is it natural enough for you to try to strike someone in the face? Not really. And here's the other well, part for me. I, I need, no, I need to yeah. say this. I need to say this. This is my go biggest, ahead, my biggest fault with this whole thing. Like you said, growing up on the east side of Detroit, the number one rule for me about fighting somebody that I've heard and experienced, fight who wants to fight you. I never got a rush out of trying to fight somebody who wasn't trying to fight. Right, 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 right. That's right. That's and right. If was try- and if yeah. someone was trying to fight me, even if I didn't want to, okay, this, if this is what we got to do, we going to do it. But you know when somebody's not trying to fight. And Jordan Poole was not trying to fight. And that's something exactly. that I think, that's something that rubs me raw no matter what apology you give. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I know Draymond's mom was uh, was tweeting, was responding to Natalie, uh, Nat, yeah, brother Ms. from another Ms. zone. Miss Mary. Miss Mary, Mary was Green, like, absolutely. hey, because Natalie pointed out that it was, you know, it was sucker, punk, sucker punch-ish. And I agree. Sucker punch ish, and and uh, and and Miss Mary says, "Well, wait a minute now, you know he he got pushed. He responded to the push. They did what they had to do. End of story." Well, no, not quite. I understand why you would say that about your son, but uh, I didn't get the sense at all that Jordan Poole thought it was about to go down oh, like oh, that. He had, and, no and last, and, he had no clue. He had no clue he was in the fight. And, and the last thing I'll say uh, before we uh, you know, switch gears, I'm going to talk some football here with Eric at home. Um, the last thing I'll say on this is there's something about mentorship that we all should consider, whether it's a basketball or journalism, whatever it is. You know, once upon a time, Vinny, 
Uh, the guy who usually sits in your seat once upon a time, long time ago, long, 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 long time ago, I was his mentor. Okay. I was Michael Smith's mentor, but, but Vinny, I was 29. Michael Smith was, well, he think I'm going to say he's 20 because he keeps talking about these 10 years. We're nine years apart. Okay. You were 20, Michael. You weren't 19, but he was 20 years old. I was 29. So it was a different kind of relationship. He had all the talent in the world, as you guys can see now, just extremely gifted uh, young journalist, young journalist. But a few years later, that dynamic, that dynamic had changed. It and, becomes a and, peer and relationship. Right. And I don't think we would be, uh, I don't think we would be close today if I didn't recognize it. If I'm still looking at him like, hey, man, you better, uh, you got to defer to me. You haven't accomplished anything. No, no, no. It can't be like that. And I don't know if that's the story, but reading between the lines, some of the stuff that's come out of uh, San Francisco slash Oakland, I feel like that may be a part of it. He and Jordan, Draymond and Jordan, it was that mentor mentee thing. Hey, Jordan Poole broke out last year, was a big part of their championship run, scored more than Draymond did. I know I'm not saying he did more, but he scored. That ain't, that ain't exactly hard. That ain't exactly hard yeah, to do. But I'm saying, but he was, but they were counting on him for a while. When when Clay was out, they really Absolutely. were counting yeah, on him. Sure. And so, like, hey man, like at least recognize that I've grown. I've grown and that maybe little, you know, little this, brother this relationship. Yeah. Little brother becomes younger brother. Slight different. Subtle yeah, different. That's right. Yeah. Little but brother became younger brother. So it's still the dynamic. It's just more peer relationship as opposed to I'm bringing you along. And sometimes, and here's the thing, we are a people of first impression. Go hang around your friends from high school. No matter how much money you've made, Michael Holly, if you were little brother in that scenario, you are little brother forever. We are a people of first impressions. That's right. That's why I ain't trying to hang out. I ain't trying to hang around them, man. Don't be bringing that up. I moved on in my mind. I moved on from the way you see me. So I'm not hanging out with y'all no more. That's why people think nah. I'm older than I am. Because I hung around all the old dudes. And now people think that I'm like in my 40s. And I'm like, nah, Chief, that ain't it. Because well, I was little, I was younger. But, I was little brother to, to a lot of the OGs in journalism. But, you know, but Benny, you're going to be one of those guys. You're going to be 39 and 355 days old. You're going to still say, I'm in my 30s. Nah, man. I'm being, my four, I'm, I'm being my 40 saying I'm feeling my 30s. What you mean? Vinny, <laughs> you wanted it to be one way. It was the other way. Take us from there. Then we'll hear from Eric at home. My former teammate, Eric at home, from formerly of Yahoo Sports. Eric, my belief is that we wanted as far as safety and concerns about concussions and everything else. But don't accept that quarterbacks not being touched, that regardless of whatever it is, whatever we feel in the moment of Tom Brady getting hit cleanly, what we feel is cleanly, or anybody else getting hit cleanly, Derek Carr hit getting hit cleanly, so we feel fumble sack, all that stuff. We want it to be one way. But it's the other way, man. That's the cost of doing business. If we're going to protect them, we got to protect them. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like, and even if the numbers suggest that there aren't more 
you know, uh, roughing the quarterback calls than there was at one point in yesteryear in the NFL. Because that's true. I actually saw a stat on it this morning, kind of shocked me. But the ones that we've seen have been so egregious, it's making us say, hey, wait a minute now. We, we want to change. We didn't want that, right? We still want football. So there really is a fine line I hear. And I've also heard people suggest that you got to separate the two things, right? That, uh, you know, the two discussion is more about what happens after a player suffers a concussion and making sure those protocols are in place. But you can't tell me there isn't some kind of tie in here and that, you know, the Grady Jared play, the the other the play against their car weren't at least in the back of the minds of the officials, something that they were thinking long and hard about in the big picture coming from above, I'm sure. You know what, fellas? I, I think the NFL, uh, this is going to sound like a compliment. It's not. <laughs> Uh, the NFL is really good at reacting. Okay, the, the NFL will never be accused of an underreaction. The NFL is so reactive to anything that happens. It's an overreaction. They will overreact, the league will, to something that's been talked about. But the league is not really great at proactive thought. It's not good at creative thought. So. What we have is so predictable, Eric. We have Tua Tungavailoa going out of a game that, first of all, they got wrong. We all saw it the first time, and they told us we were crazy. He goes out of a game, clearly concussed. Uh, they say, no, it's his back and his ankle. So we see it. Then the second time, a few days later, Thursday night game, he's thrown down. And it's violent, and we all see the, the just the gruesome image on TV, and we see his hands just kind of his fingers kind of twisting, and so the NFL overreacts. Isn't this just like an overreaction? Isn't there a, an easier, more reasonable way of dealing with this issue as opposed to these extremes of either ignoring it or an overcorrection? I think you're absolutely right about the part that when, when change comes, it's usually driven by by the, the barn door being left wide open and something happening, right? Some some travesty, some you know, rule change, some, you know, look at the the 13-second play against the Buffalo Bills. They're apples and oranges, but we changed the rule because it already happened. So it can't change the past, obviously. And, you know, as much as everybody wants to butter both sides of the bread, you know, that doesn't do us a lot of good. And you really do have to find the right solutions in these places. In fact, a lot of people were suggesting Sunday, hey, maybe Teddy Bridgewater, ironically, same team as Tua, was actually hurt by this new, you know, this new rule they put in place, the protocol where you see somebody suffering from, I believe the, the term is apraxis, which is, you know, the inability to use your motor functions because of a of a, a brain injury or some kind of neurological problem, um, that he was an, un, you know, unwitting victim to this, even though obviously he's still working his way back. I think that was the immediate reaction because everybody thought, are we now all of a sudden overcorrecting on this thing? So it's really tricky. There's a ton of gray area with this stuff. And I don't pretend to be a medical expert, but I do talk to people around the league and say, what, what is the landing spot on this? And very few people agree on the matter. That's the biggest thing you hear is that, you know, mm-hmm. league folks are going to tell you one thing. Agents and players may tell you something else. Coaches may have a different view and boy, trying to come up with a perfect solution with five or six different suggestions you know, that's how we end up in, in this kind of middle ground or this gray area that, that may end up with more problems in the end. 
speaking of uh, overcorrection, Ron Rivera, right? They asked him, Ooh. what's the biggest, what is the biggest difference between yeah. us, between you guys and the other three teams in the NFC East? And he said quarterback as if Daniel Jones isn't the quarterback of the New York Giants and then <laughs> tried to overcorrect it and say, nah, 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 my bad. I was a little bit out of pocket. Yeah. Before you answer that, before you answer that, Eric, I want to, I, I want to hear the sound. You got to see it to believe it. Uh, oh, here's yeah. Ron Rivera. Here's, here's Ron Rivera just trying to clean up. Uh, I, I would say a mess, but trying to clean up the truth. I actually talked to Carson this morning. I, in fact, I talked to the whole team just so everybody understood that you know, I had a mea culpa moment and that uh, I should know better. And I created a little bit of a distraction, and that's the one thing we try not to do. And it's one thing that I'm very aware of. I, I mean, again, let's you know, be honest. It's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, when you misstep, some people just can't wait to, 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 to dive onto it and jump onto it and hold onto it and, you know, without an opportunity to explain yourself. So that's, hey, that's on me. I should know better. But, yeah, Coach addressed it, handled it. Nothing for me that I'm overly concerned about. Coach is a very straightforward, upfront guy, and um, he addressed it in the team meeting, which I thought was really cool, um, and what he meant by it all. So uh, I feel very confident in that. It's a little, ah. a little, a little <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the original, ahead, quote, Eric. yeah. When they asked them, you know, like, what's the difference between the other, you know, the four and one or better teams in your division and your team? Quarterback pause, you know, pregnant pause. Let's, you know, that was the first word out of his mouth. And then there was a, uh, you know, basically saying it's a quarterback-driven league. You look at the other teams in the division; they've been able to have, you know, sustained success, or other teams in the league, I should say. Uh, they build it around a specific kind of quarterback. So this obviously suggests that there's a little bit of a disconnect here between Rivera and what he's hoping for at the position and what he's actually got with Wentz. So, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of stuffing the genie back in the bottle with this one. But, you know, even with the, you know, sort of laugh it off responses by both Rivera and Wentz, I mean, uh, it's pretty clear that, you know, that there's a lot of work to be done uh, on this, this whole thing. And Wentz may not be the guy to do it. And Rivera, who knows if he's the guy to do it. He heads to Chicago right. on Thursday. It's not going to be a happy uh, week. I mean, he's got uh, a lot of wins that they've got to suddenly get. And I think that's part of it. It's like when you got, you know, the three of us talk off air, we're a little more, more prone to maybe say something we wouldn't say. Well, Ron just happened to be doing it in front of a camera. And yeah, I don't think there's any uh, backtracking yeah. on that one. But you know what, Eric and Vinny, I, I got to say, look, if our neighbors, wherever you live, if our neighbors who are not in the, in the public eye, if they say something, if they're quoted in the media and they come out and say, oh, wait a minute, they didn't give me an opportunity to explain myself. See, the media is always framing things in this way. I might listen to them because they don't sure. have a platform. But with Ron Rivera at a press conference, it's your press conference, Ron. What do you mean you didn't have an opportunity? It's your press conference. So we just quoted you at at something you do every day. The guy talks every day and what he did. He didn't get caught saying something he shouldn't have said. He got caught telling the truth. That fool told the <laughs> truth. And and then he came out and said, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, they misconstrued. No, we didn't misconstrue it. You just you're shocked that in this position you're in Washington where everybody lies anyway. You're in you're in Washington Ooh. and you actually are one of the rare people 
who told the truth in Washington. That's what it is. Hey, tell me, Benny, where's the lie? What did he say wrong? He didn't say anything wrong. It, here's the thing. It's not about the lie. It's about what's appropriate, right? And I don't even think that what he said was inappropriate because had mm. no one said anything about it, he wouldn't have come back and corrected himself. He said his thoughts. My question, and we if we can stay in the NFC East here, if we were talking about anybody but the Dallas Cowboys, would I be hearing anything about a damn Cooper Rush? <laughs> That's a great point, right? Cooper Rush, who was cut at the end of training camp, theoretically could have been picked up by any of the other 31 teams, including Washington, uh, just completed a 4-0 streak and is going for 5-0 this week, we assume. I mean, we think he's going to be starting over Dak if Dak can't go, but yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's not as if the Cowboys went into the season thinking, okay, when Cooper gets in the lineup, what are we going to do with this guy? No, all right. So, you know, you, you obviously compare the two situations. And, you know, Rivera's not the GM. He wasn't – he was just sort of handed this guy, and they said, all right, make some chicken salad out of this. Let's see what we got, you know. Uh, I thought the price they paid was insane at the time, and it's looking, you know, even worse now. So, yeah, there, there are just so many things. I think Ron has always been a straight shooter. And I think that's what players liked about him. I remember talking to Steve Smith about him after his first year in Carolina. Steve was not a happy camper. By the end of the first year, he basically said, I like this guy. He's the first coach I've had who hasn't just sort of sold me a line. So there's a, a credit to the, the fact that he's this pretty upfront, honest guy. He's going to, you know, shoot straight and all that stuff. But you know, when it's a guy in Carson Wentz, who's now on his third team in three years, who was accused of having thin skin in Philly, who was accused of being, you know, somewhat of a locker room lawyer or cancer in the past and in Indy, you know, it's going to hit differently. And imagine if this was the Cowboys situation and not the, the Washington Commanders, even as, as big a, a fan base as they have. Look, I'd rather have uh, Carson Wentz over Cooper Rush, and I'm sure Ron Rivera would, even though I wouldn't would have you? either one of them, to be perfectly honest. Would you? I don't know, Vinny. Really? At the cost? Yeah. Mm. Not the cost. Not not at the co- just just, just as the a player. The guy. Just, just just the player. Just just the player. And I'm I, not a I Carson Wentz fan by by any stretch. But Cooper Rush ain't ain't all he's doing is not driving the car off the cliff. Right, but that's a, but that's all the last the last two franchises uh, have asked Carson Wentz to do just that, and he still did it. They say, "Hey, man, don't say, not, no, that hey, you don't have to be a franchise game. savior." They're asking him to win games. He believes he's being asked to win games. games? He believes he's being asked to win games. He's still trying Mm. to capture the guy who was on that MVP run before he hurt his knee and watch somebody else win Super Bowl MVP. He's still trying to hold on to that guy. And apparently, no matter whatever these other teams are saying to him, the message isn't getting through because they're not being clear. Because if they were being clear, bench his ass. That's yeah, a great yeah. point. Carson Wentz, yeah, he, he sits there. like He's a guy who sits there, and he, and he plays with matches. The whole room goes up, and he goes, what happened? What happened? <laughs> it was just, like, it's you. It's you. Like, they didn't – in Philly, they couldn't wait to get him out of Philly. Yeah. Big contract. They got him out. They were excited. Indianapolis, one and done. Big contract. They, got, they were excited. They got compensation, as Eric just pointed out. And now, Eric – uh, Washington, they'll be excited to move on from him too. Uh, Ron Rivera told the truth. Let me ask you this real quick uh, yeah. about analytics, then we'll let you go. Uh, it, it occurs to me that everybody's afraid of analytics from different angles. 
So old school people are afraid of analytics because it represents something new. So they're, you know, like some of the, the, the salty old guard, I'm like, now nah, I'm, I'm not messing with all those numbers. And then some of the more progressive coaches are afraid of analytics in that they don't want to be left out of the cool kids conversation. This has happened. I don't want to be on the wrong side of history. In the meantime, some really curious decisions are being made in the name of analytics. I'm just wondering how you see it and specifically Chargers Browns going forward fourth and one a minute to go. No timeouts for Cleveland punt that thing. You probably win without a field goal attempt. Yeah. But Jacoby Brissett at quarterback here going for going for two when if you just kick the extra point, it's a tie game. And then Andy Reid going for two when you kick the extra point, you're up by eight. So I, Eric, you know, just help us out here. Help us untangle this. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Obviously, I think you're right on the first part. There is that, what's the old song lyric? Uh, we fear what we do not understand or whatever. You know, th- that is absolutely true with a lot of the kind of blue blood coaches, the ones who are kind of stuck in their their ways of doing things. And we'll, you know, we'll gripe about the you know, them punting on fourth and one every single time. And we'll gripe about them not going for two in certain situations. But on the other hand, I think you raise a really good point. I've heard people, you know, sort of question the decision to go for two, whether it's those two examples you pointed out from last week or even uh, prior examples. And it's almost like the coaches can go up there either right after the game or the next day and say, well, analytics. And it's like this bulletproof shield, right? right? They use it as like a, well, that's the reason, right? It's like science. It it makes sense, doesn't it? You know, and it does. (laughs) But analytics are meant to point you like you're playing blackjack or any other, you know, gambling game, right? towards the best odds right doesn't mean you're gonna win every time right you may get killed in poker by a great hand that you never saw coming okay you live to fight another day but you played it right and that's what's most important now some of these guys who are claiming analytics have actually been called out on it actually it was 0.8 percent likely that you know you, you made the wrong decision it would have been better to punt you know in real time it's hard unless you have a staff sort of calling in those numbers every single play you know, in the case of the Browns, I, 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 you know, on the one hand, you love the aggression. You love to be able to win it with your offense on the field, finish it off. Yeah. On the other, as you pointed out, as long as you feel confident in your punt unit and you can get it off, you probably win that game 99-plus percent of the time. So it, it definitely is a double-edged sword. With the Chiefs, I will say this. I believe there are exceptions, and I think Mahomes is an exception. I think I'd rather have the shot at taking the lead, knowing that he's probably going to come down and score. And your hope is that if he does score fast, we can get the ball back up either five or six and go down and, and just kick the, the uh, you know, kick the extra point and win that way. So I didn't, I thought Reed's decision was a little more curious, but the chance to make it a two score game, pretty enticing. We've seen some college coaches sort of do that before and it's trickled up to the NFL. You know what, Eric, my brother, our analytics are always improved when you're on the show. How about ah, that? that? That's a fact. Thank you very much. That's a fact. 2% hey, better, baby. You, man. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, fellas. We'll good take it. You. The key word was better. The key word That's was right. better. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the show. I can't tell you guys I was upset about this because I had the Cowboys and the points. Here's Matt Stafford. Or as... Jason Johnson calls him. <laughs> what do you call him, Jason? Tad Stafford. Stafford. That's right. 
Pad Stafford, the worst one-year rental that anyone has ever gotten in the history oh, of the NFL. Well, hey, no, if that one-year rental is going to re result in a Super Bowl, though, if you get a Super Bowl title, not a Super Bowl appearance, you got him. He gave you 41 touchdown passes and a no-look on the winning drive. You know, what? Uh. you know what? I'm glad I'm glad they were wearing the, the, the sort of extra yellow uniforms because he's a pure lemon. Right, they just oh, they just traded for a lemon. He's trash and garbage. He always was trash and garbage. He had been floating along for a long time in Detroit. Okay, he wasn't ever pulling anybody out of the lion's mouth. He had some come from behind victories because his teams were always garbage. And he went to a team that had been to a Super Bowl two years earlier and replaced Jared Goff. That is not an amazing accomplishment. I mean, it's it's not. It's not. If you go in and you replace the NFL's version of Ryan Gosling, who has like one hit that completely disappears, that doesn't make you a better quarterback. And that's essentially what happened when he took over for Jared Goff. Uh, you know, it's too bad you haven't been sitting on this for a while. It seems like this is just <laughs> kind of spontaneous. You know, you've been sitting on this for a minute. Dead red fastball. Throw the fastball. Go ahead. Throw the fastball. <laughs> I'm about to crush this thing. So look, you, but the way you said, okay, the way you talked about uh, Matt Stafford, let's call him, you know, mm. Mama named him Matt. We're gonna call him Matt for these purposes. Mm. So the way you talk about him, there's a little edge there. You know, oh, compare yeah. and compare and contrast that, uh, Vinny and, and uh, Doc Johnson. Uh, Jason Johnson is here, uh, by the way. The way people, I know you had some issues with the way people were talking oh, yes. about Russell Wilson after his uh, very underwhelming performance. Uh, on third last terrible, Thursday. terrible performance. And let's be clear, it was it was it was reported on Broncos local radio that he was injured after the game with the Raiders. And the Raiders was probably the best game he played all year. He had three touchdowns, two passing touchdowns, a running touchdown from once the defense let them down, or Nathaniel Hackett let it down. Because as I said, I believe the way he runs practice is basically reading the Madden game instructions upside down on a bench and trying to figure out how to call a play. <laughs> that being said. <laughs> it was an absolutely abysmal performance decision-making-wise on Thursday. But here's what's interesting. Russell Wilson is the recipient of a level of venom from commentary people, from supposed liberal progressive white commentary people from sports, from, from former professional athletes that has a level of venom to it that is incommensurate with anything this man has ever done. I heard people angrier at Russell Wilson than they were at Deshaun Watson. I heard people angrier at Russell Wilson than they have been at plenty of other athletes that got huge contracts, didn't accomplish anything with it. I am waiting to hear someone tell me that Russell Wilson was a bad teammate. I'm waiting for someone to say that Russell Wilson didn't work hard in practice because to my ear, to my African-American ear, when I hear he can't play anymore because he can't run, I hear the constant stereotypes about black quarterbacks that I've heard for the last 45 years. When I hear he's corny and inauthentic, if he were a white Christian athlete doing what Russell Wilson is doing now, he would be Tim Tebow, and he'd have every contract on the face of the planet. But because he's a brother who married a black single mom and wifed her up and treats her well and respects her and puts her on Instagram, there are a lot of angry African-American athletes because they've been trained to be suspicious of African-Americans in this or in any other sport who want to assert the authority that's often handed to white athletes who have accomplished not nearly as much as Wilson. I think that you're on the right track. I think there's another layer to this. And help me if I'm wrong. Saying someone is fake 
would imply that you know what's behind that veneer. I mm -hmm. think some of that is because they don't know what's real about Russell Wilson. You don't know where he really sits because maybe the code switching is just so natural for him that you can't get to the authenticity of him. And I think that's what some mm. people have a problem with as opposed to some of the other things. But I do think you're on the right track, though. It, it is a level of venom that I don't get because I've never seen a bunch of dudes sticking up for future. Right, right. I, I'll take it one step further. I'll take it one step further. We saw, uh, you know, nice guy, I'm sure, on many levels. But we saw Drew Brees walk around for almost 10 years as if he was the personal savior of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. Did anyone call him phony or fake? No. We they saw called him, they called him they called him breezes. Right. They called him breezes. Said breezes. Right. As 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 if, as if he was standing there with his finger in the levees, keeping people alive, right? We saw Eli Manning basically steal a paycheck from the New York Giants for seven years. The man couldn't make the playoffs outside the years they made the Super Bowl. Did anyone scream and yell at him on a regular basis? No. He's got TV shows that he's doing with his brother now, despite the fact that he was a massively underachieving, underaccomplished quarterback. So that's where I'm comparing this to. If you want to criticize Russell Wilson's decision-making, that's perfectly fine. If you want to say his play has fallen off, you can make that argument. But we can't dismiss the fact that whenever African-American athletes assert things about their career, when they have the audacity like LeBron James did or like Russell Wilson did or like uh, uh, many other, especially in the NBA, have done and say, hey, I don't like this team. I want to play somewhere else where I get the respect that I think I'm due for a 10-year Hall of Fame veteran. There's always a level of venom because people are trained. They are trained from Little League to ankle biter to high school to everything else like that to defer to white ADs, white coaches, and white team owners who claim that that sort of agency is not the province of African-American athletes. And that's a truth that a lot of people don't necessarily want to hear, but it's a fact. Doc, we got, we got to get to something quick because I know you ain't defending this clown. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get we're gonna get to our buddy Kanye. 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 Oh, <laughs> no, this is the thing. This is the thing about yet. First and foremost, I have patently refused to discuss this man because I ain't got no Yeezys. I haven't bought his clothes in years. I don't. I, you know, the fact of the matter is, the greatest accomplishment that Kanye West has made in the last several years is to make anyone talk about Pete Davidson outside of SNL. That's the only thing this man has accomplished. For him to be running around and saying racist and anti-Semitic and, anti and, and, and ridiculous things one way or another, it is not a surprise. It's not a surprise. Anybody associated with the MAGA movement probably has this belief system. What I'm concerned about, quite frankly, is the number of people who want to platform someone who clearly is not informed. And I'll tell you guys this, because I say this all the time. I say this on the news. I say this in my podcast. I say this in all sorts of other places. I would rather listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene. I would rather listen to, to Tim Scott. I would rather listen to somebody who actually believes this nonsense and can have a policy impact than some sort of wrapping shoe salesman, okay, who can't seem to keep his marriage together but wants to lecture other people on Christianity and godliness. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. Like, when, 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 and when it comes to fans, and I also say this, people are like, hey, he's, he's terrible. He says these offensive things. I'm more scared of Nicki Minaj's fans or the Bayhive than I am of anybody who's been a fan of Kanye West over the last six or seven years. Oh, Doc Johnson, I'm telling you, man, you 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 pack a lot in like eight or nine. That was only like eight or nine minutes. He had so many <laughs> bars in there. We had political commentary, had mad jokes. Hey, man, you got, so when you coming back? We always say that. When you coming back? Next week, I'm going to text you some dates, man. We're going to make it happen. All right, we're going to do this.
Thanks for hanging out. See you.